Hello and welcome back to the Asset Allocator podcast, where we try to look under the bonnet of the market with a leading asset allocator. I'm David Thorpe, one of the contributors to Asset Allocator. Joining me today are Amy Lazenby, Managing Director of the Discretionary Managed Service at Close Brothers, and my fellow Asset Allocator writer, Dave Baxter. Thank you both for joining me. Amy, markets have started the year, I think it's fair to say, with more of a whimper than a bang, and value sectors have, have done best. But is there a danger, perhaps, that the market has got ahead of itself with this uh, ro- very pronounced rotation that we've been seeing? I think markets have had a lot to digest this year. You're quite right. We had higher oil price, which is inflationary and hurts the consumer as they've got to spend more on energy bills, so they've got less to spend on going out. You have the prospect of higher interest rates, which will also hurt the consumer, but the move higher is being made to try and dampen the inflation we're seeing. And we now also have a full escalation of the conflict between Russia and the Ukraine. So until a week ago, I would have said that the most important factor moving the markets was the fact that the UK and US central banks have said that they want to manage inflation by raising interest rates and withdrawing liquidity, which really brings an end to a 14-year programme of quantitative easing. However, at the moment, it's the impact of the war that's moving markets, um, with defence stocks rallying alongside oil stocks, as Russia is one of the largest oil producers. So if we define value, as you mentioned, as cheaper stocks, then we just need to look at the financials, uh, the tobacco companies, the banks, the miners and the oil and gas businesses. And year to date, many of these businesses are up between 10 and 30 percent of the UK index and the US moves are even more pronounced, um, up much higher, but driven predominantly by energy related businesses. Um, It's quite interesting that you ask if markets run ahead of themselves because they do tend to anticipate events. So If those events don't unfold as expected, then they can retreat, but only with the benefit of hindsight will we know, I think, if the market has run ahead of itself. Um, Because so far, I think the market has been quite efficient in its repricing of some of the growth stocks in the expectation of higher interest rates. Dave Baxter, do you have uh, have any thoughts on on that topic? Has everybody's been in in value, but could it be be, uh, that they've uh, gone too far too fast? Yeah, I mean... I suppose it's kind of like a yeah significant pullback after so many years of uh, very strong performance, and you know people always value. It's always interesting. People are talking about kind of is it another false dawn or is it a sustained rotation? Um, but one thought I had, and I was interested in putting this to you, Amy, was whether there's been some discussion about whether the kind of broad so-called value approach works as well now or whether it is and you partly lose this but whether it's now more about kind of sector specifics i mean has it become a bit more granular when you're trying to capture and you know mitigate those shifts that we've been seeing i think in many ways it's um it can be made bigger it can be looked at from a bigger picture perspective but the rally rally that we've seen in what we're calling value stocks has only really is still relatively short-lived. Mm. Um, if we look back over the last 13 years or so since the global financial crisis, we've been in a very different environment, an environment of falling interest rates um, and low inflation as central banks have come in to support um, economies and markets. 
um, with a program of quantitative easing. And the effect of that quantitative easing program you know, has been to create a sort of environment of low interest rates. And this has actually been very supportive for what we now call growth businesses, because uh, investors have bought businesses that had their own good self-help growth prospects um, in what was really a low growth world. And over the years, they were prepared to pay more and more for that growth. However, in the wake of really very strong uh, economic data that we've seen, surprisingly strong um, in the wake of COVID crisis, um, investors aren't as prepared to pay for that growth. And central banks have told us that they're now going to withdraw liquidity from the markets. So if they do do this, it not only marks the end of an era, but it's also going to have a huge impact on the investment environment um, and will just be a huge mark change for many people's uh, entire career as far as they know it um, and people investors have started selling growth businesses which have been trading on much more expensive valuations in anticipation of this rise in interest rates the problem is you know, every time the central banks have come out and said this at various points over the last four year, 14 years, you know, they're going to withdraw liquidity. They've changed their mind. Something has mm. happened in the markets and they've come back in and supported. So we've become very accustomed to this cushion, you know, and now we have the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Is that itself going to make um, to mark a change? Um, so is the current value rally sustainable? Um, we experienced something similar in January and February 2021. Um, but other than that, for most of the last 14 years, value has only really done well for a few weeks at a time. So this is probably the most sustained value rally that we've had for a very long period. But actually, I do wonder if the recent correction in growth investments um, is the start of a reversal, something perhaps a little bit more permanent. Um, because I do think we're going to see a new era of higher interest rates. So I do think actually value investments are continue are going to continue to do well. Thank you for that, Amy and, and Dave. Um, Amy, how does one think about about risk at the portfolio level uh, in in a world where uh, where rates are tightening? We've had basically forty years where it was it was quite easy to go. Well, I know the bonds the bonds bit will be will be okay, um, so I just have to think about equity risk. But if interest rates are rising, that that puts a uh, some of the certainties that might have been there about bonds into into question. So, at the portfolio level, how how come on how come on act? Absolutely, um, rising interest rates are certainly a difficult environment for fixed income because the bond yield moves inversely to the bond price. So, in a rising interest rate environment, the price of the bond might be expected to fall. So, we have virtually no government bonds at all as global inflationary pressures remain elevated. And we're also very underweight investment grade credit. Equities, however, can pass on higher interest rates. So we have, um, and they often have some degree of interest rate protection in that respect. So we are broadly neutral in our exposure to equities at present. Um, the risk there is that if there is a policy error and central banks move too swiftly, they might choke off some of the growth and consumers may get squeezed, and then this can lead to a recession. But I think we have to assume no policy error and look at the broad impact of timing monetary policy on different asset classes and think underweight fixed income, broadly neutral to equities, and we have significant exposure to what we call alternative investments. Mm. 
But what kind of alternatives are you um, kind of turning to at the minute? We have a wide range of alternative investments. They cover everything and anything from infrastructure and renewables, which are beneficiaries of fiscal spend, and the different businesses within those sort of subsectors to varying degrees are affected positively and negatively by power prices, inflation and interest rates. So the core investment, um, core infrastructure investments tend to offer income biased returns with low volatility. They often have government backed UK and international cash flows. Many have inflation escalators built into the long term contracts. The renewables are really attractive. They stand out in terms of liquidity and they've got the best volatility and highest yield over three years versus the wider universe. Um, energy storage, such as batteries, seems to have long-term tailwinds, um, as it will be critical in the energy transition to be able to store the intermittent power produced by the renewable energy companies. We have gold as a hedge against central bank policy error, hedge funds that can have high-risk adjusted returns and a repeatable pattern of returns in different environments, and a low correlation to major asset classes and major events, and private equity, which definitely is at the riskier end of the spectrum, which provides access to some of the faster growing innovative private businesses through private equity investment vehicles. So, you know, many of these businesses do tend to trade above their net asset values, so they're not without risk, um, but they do tend to have asset bases that are hard to replicate. They've got strong market positions, good cash flow visibility and opportunities for further growth, and they pay a higher dividends. And I think higher dividend paying businesses are also quite attractive in this environment. Thank you. Um, uh, certainly in the private equity uh, type space, there's much commentary around the, the the wall of money that these guys have to uh, have to deploy in new investments. And it is the consequence of that that valuations that the valuations that these uh, PE funds pay will inevitably be higher. And can you mitigate that? I think there's always a risk um, that you can pay too much, but historically these businesses have had better growth profiles and produced better returns than, than some of the main listed businesses. Um, but it's always important, I think, to us to look carefully at what you're paying for a business. Would you, similarly, on the private equity trusts, um, have you had any concerns about, I suppose they are kind of very oriented to some of those more growthy sectors like tech and health that have done especially well, obviously, in the earlier stages of the pandemic. I mean, is that something that causes a level of concern or is it, is it more muted than you see in the kind of listed space? I think we're very aware when we're investing in these private equity investment trusts that they do carry a higher level of risk and they do tend to be um, some of their faster growth uh, and as a result, more highly rated businesses. So we the position sizes reflect that additional risk and they're perhaps only more suitable for clients with a bigger risk appetite. But some of the investments they are making give our clients exposure to businesses that they would otherwise be unable to get exposure to. And if you have very long-term structural tailwinds, um, digital innovators and disruptors, I think it's a fascinating uh, area of the market to be able to provide exposure to for clients. Maybe a question that brings a few of those uh, themes together uh, to finish up with, please. And how do you think about defensive exposure now? If, if you decided tomorrow to be, uh, to, I suppose, to de-risk your portfolios, what does that, what, what, what options are, are, are out there? Is it a question of you have to take the valuation risk in, in PE land 
or else you have to take the business risk by buying something a bit more vanilla. Yes, I think one might traditionally have said you buy fixed income, but we have talked already uh, about the risks to fixed income in a rising interest rate environment. Now, I have to add that fixed income definitely has an important role to play in portfolios, particularly for those um, more conservative investors, because it does dampen the volatility. Uh, and one can look at some of the more interesting esoteric bond funds which can go anywhere and do pretty much anything these days and there's always somewhere to make money in pretty much any environment if you're clever enough and look hard enough. However it's pretty certain we are going to get the series of interest rate rises and that naturally leads you uh, to uh, equity markets to provide some of this protection against this. Um, so within equity markets we'd look at companies with lower valuations and perhaps companies with attractive yields. So in periods of uncertainty, I think it's always important to keep portfolios well diversified. And a quality bias has always served portfolios well throughout history. You know, I think it's Warren Buffett who said uh, it's far better to buy a wonderful company at a fair price than a fair company at a wonderful price. So um, that's another element to consider. And the UK market, while it's very small in the context of global equity indices, and relatively speaking, it has not been the place to be invested for a number of years, it is attractively valued. Um, it does have a nice dividend of around 4%, and it has lots of cyclical exposure. And those type of businesses do tend to do quite well in this environment. So perhaps short term, as we've been seeing year to date, the UK market might look quite interesting. And dividends are important. We've touched on them a few times, but they're attractive because they're a more predictable source of return than capital. So if you're looking to um, achieve a certain set return in a year and a company is producing a dividend of 4%, uh, then that is a more certain source of income than the capital. Uh, but also, I mean, you might look at defensive equity in the form of some of the world's biggest companies, which have billions of dollars on their balance sheets in which, you know, like machines, keep producing consistent and strong earnings growth. So defensive businesses and defensive equity exposure is no longer or is not a, a single type of business. Uh, I think it's diversification across different geographies and different businesses, but looking for niches where there is an element of protection, you know, a moat around the business to protect from competitors encroaching. Um, and 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 buying trying to buy it at the right price when it comes to kind of defensive options um i mean i noticed in in some parts of the press recently we've had kind of talks about people claiming you should you know jump into 50 percent cash which obviously is an extremely dramatic kind of idea but how do you view kind of cash in these scenarios um i imagine it's very useful when when you do see kind of big markets drops, perhaps you could put some to work on some some names you've had on, you know, on your list. Um, or, or would you rather kind of just have all that money working and not kind of have that opportunity cost? Cash is always great to have as a dry powder, especially if the market's mm -hmm. fallen and you can jump in and buy some great businesses at great prices. But I'm a big believer that it's all about time in the market as opposed to timing the market, because short term, you can look very clever holding cash. But any long term investor will tell you that 
returns produced are much better over any long-term period by investing in global equities. And if you miss the handful of biggest market moving days, then your returns will compound at significantly less than if you remained invested throughout and were able to handle the volatility that markets do throughout you from time to time. But I'm a big believer that, you know, ideally you can remain invested in the markets. Having said that, I have raised cash this year and <laughs> have about um, 7 or 8%. Um, I don't think I'll keep it for very long. I've never want to hold much cash. I think you can tend to use it more wisely. But if we have interest rate rises, cash, the real value of cash is also going to be eroded. So um, I think it should all be about time in the market. Thank you very much for that, Amy. And, and thank you, Dave. Thank you both for joining me. And thanks to all of you for listening. Do remember to tune in to the next edition of the Asset Allocated Podcast. Goodbye and stay safe. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 